as marijuana legalization looms next week. We're going to spend the entire show focused on cannabis. On the show to discuss the topic, Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian, as well as former Health Minister Terry Lake. We'll also listen back to an interview on the topic on this show just a few weeks ago with Public Safety Minister Mike Farkle. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Inside Politics with Radio NL News Director Shane Woodford. Good morning. Welcome to Inside Politics. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to have a special marijuana-focused show with legalization coming our way next week. First up, we're going to dip back into a conversation we had with Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth about legal cannabis on this show just a few weeks ago. Mike, how are you? Good. And uh, Vaughn Palmer and uh, Keith Baldry are also on the line as well. Uh, Mike, uh, you made some news this week about uh, your concerns at the border with people who work in the legal cannabis industry, be they government or private, uh, and potential issues at the border there. We have had one case already with someone who is an investor uh, who has turned back and issued a lifetime ban simply for investing in marijuana stock. So the border remains a pretty big question mark as we hit this deadline next month. Uh, with that in mind, have you heard anything in the days since you've uh, you've gone to the media and said, listen, I'm concerned about this. Have you heard anything back uh, from the federal government or otherwise that gives you any amount of reassurance uh, that there'll be some kind of, I don't know, uh, some kind of steadfast approach at the border concerning uh, concerning people who work in the legal cannabis industry? I haven't heard anything uh, specific. Um, I know that other provinces are also concerned. Uh, my understanding is I think that there has been a communication between uh, all of the provinces now uh, um, with the, uh, the federal government that uh, they're concerned uh, about this issue. I know the federal government is aware of it. Um, it does come in, you know, it's completely under federal government jurisdiction. BC is a subnational jurisdiction. We don't have the ability to say, you know, uh, we need to do this or we need to do that um, and do it. Um, but we're looking, also looking at it from the, the perspective of, okay, are there things that we can do within house in terms of trying to mitigate things or make, at least make people aware of, of the, uh, the issue, uh, that we that we see at the border. It was interesting to note that yesterday there was a uh, an article uh, that I read uh, about a congressperson uh, down in California saying that uh, the uh, the U.S. federal government really should address this issue. That they see it as a potential. Uh, they see it as a problem as well. Uh, so um, you no, know, this is a, this is an important issue, and I think the federal government is aware of it, and they now need to take it seriously and and see what we can do in terms of ensuring that whoever. Uh, is working whoever's engaged in a legal activity in this in this country uh, is not going to face consequences at the uh, the u.s border yeah no i agree uh, I'm, i am curious about one thing you're setting up this whole new regime essentially from scratch you've been hard at work doing that for months now uh, as we look at this border issue are you concerned mike uh, you as far as the government liquor stores are concerned uh, there's going to be one in kamloops on the 17th but you haven't set any up after that and you're going to have to are you concerned that potential employees or even people within the LDB who are looking to move from liquor to cannabis will look at the border issue and say, oh, no thanks, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. Um, we've had a lot of interest uh, from people uh, wanting to uh, to be employed. There was a lot of people um, lined up uh, to, to work in the Camelot store, and we're working in terms of looking at, okay, um, are there things that we can do provincially to make sure to minimize uh, any risk? At the same time, letting the feds know, look, this is an issue that we need to have addressed, uh, and they need to they need to get on this. Uh, Vaughn, you want to ring in? 
Yeah, I want to say that uh, Mike Farmer, there's no substitute for Shannon Waters. <laughs> seriously, uh, Minister, this was one line in the federal liberal election platform, and its implications continue to ripple uh, across the country. Uh, do you think that Ottawa really gave enough thought to this question of the impact on getting back and forth across the border? I think this is uh, when this whole issue of the legalization came up, I, I don't think anybody fully, truly understood where the tentacles of this octopus, as someone described it to me, uh, reached. Uh, because just in my own experience, in terms of having been given this file, where it spreads and where it goes, and all the different avenues and alleys and sideways that you go down on all the issues you've got to deal with, I don't think the border issue was one uh, that uh, really, that really uh, people thought about. Um, it is, as they say, um, an unintended consequence. Um, or as what was it Donald Rump, Rumsfeld once said, we have the we have the uh, the known knowns, the unknown knowns, the unknown unknowns, and um, this I think is an example of that. Keith, thank you. Yeah, I just again for the minister, what um, what steps are being taken internally in the government within government to either obscure or or sort of cloak the fact that uh, employees are working in the cannabis uh, section, so border guards don't Google someone's name and up pops uh, assistant, uh, you know, deputy manager for liquor distribution branch cannabis section. We are looking at uh, a number of ways in which we can ensure uh, that uh, that we can minimize any risk um, if uh, if this is if this is a problem. Um, I can't go into into detail. All I can tell you at this point is, is that the ministry is aware of it. We are looking at, at, at what measures that we can take uh, in terms of our jurisdiction, and at the same time letting the feds know this is a problem and they need to make sure uh, that they address it. Mike, are you worried about hitting the border yourself? I mean, if they if you hit the border and someone says, "What do you do?" and uh, they eventually say, "So are you the guy that brought or is working to bring in marijuana in the province?" Do you feel that you yourself are at risk or no? Um, let's put it this way. <laughs> I, I, I hope that common sense prevails. I hope that common sense prevails. I know the feds are, are, are aware of it. Um, we're looking uh, very closely working uh, on this issue at, at, at how to deal with it. And I think um, people just need to be, uh, they just need to be careful and aware when they go to the border. And it, it applies on a whole range of levels. I mean, this isn't just about government employees, it's about private sector employees, it's, uh, it's about private businesses who aren't even related to cannabis. It's literally about anybody when they're going across the border. It will be legal in this country to consume, use marijuana, work in that industry. It's legal in Washington State, Colorado, and Oregon, and an increasing number of U.S. states. And people just need to be, uh, they need to be very much aware of at that border on how you answer uh, questions that you are asked. And it could be just as simple as, you know, I mean, people need to understand that if there's cannabis, a cannabis wrapper, if there's, a, you know, smoke or a hint of smoke in the car, you can get asked questions and then the U.S. border guards have a lot of power and they make a decision and that's it. Uh, on as far as impaired or drug impaired drivers, Mike, uh, here in Kamloops, the detachment's going to take a pass on uh, using the Dreger Drug Test 5000, which is a ridiculous name, by the way. Uh, and I note a lot of other police detachments across the country are also taking a pass. Uh, it, as far as you're concerned, do you endorse 
endorse this device, or, or do you advise the police departments to sort of stay away from it? What we want to see is uh, technology in use uh, that will stand up to court challenges. We're told by the federal government uh, that this that this will that this is uh, you know technology that they have confidence in. Um, British Columbia, along with every other province, has expressed real concerns about the amount of time it's taken uh, in terms of getting the technology. We've been very concerned about you know reliability issues. Uh, we know that there's going to be a uh, from the moment it's first the first time it's used wherever it is, whether it's BC or somewhere else in this country, there will be a court challenge. Um, the one thing that we have always known and, and have been clear on is, is that whatever technology is used, um, if there's a court challenge or there's issues around it, the standard field sobriety test is still something that, that is in place uh, and that, that is something that the police can use. And they use it right now in terms of trying to determine drug impaired. Uh, so, so this again this is one of those issues that is going to it's going to resolve itself over time uh we're doing everything we can to make sure that officers are trained on the technology um this is but i i fully expect that uh, you're going to see advances just like we saw when drinking and driving technology uh, you know the, the breathalyzer test was first introduced it's evolved over time and you're going to see the same thing the same thing with this uh but again this just illustrates the tight timeline under which legalization has taken place not just here in bc but right across the country and in fact this issue of the drinking and driving technology and the legislation around it was you know the last piece to actually get through the senate um back in back in june vaughn yeah i uh well, I, I like what the, the minister said a little earlier about uh, the unintended consequences of this change. I can't think of a public policy change in a country that, as I said, taken on the basis of just a line in an election platform that's got so many far-reaching implications, and we're still sorting it out. Uh, I liked what the minister said when the local government said we'd like a split of the revenues, and the answer back from the finance minister and uh, solicitor general was, are you so sure there will be any? It's going to mm. cost so much to implement this. But I do want to ask the minister, has he asked the premier to stop referring to him as the cannabis czar? <laughs> if the border <laughs> officials Google that. <laughs> well, cannabis czar is better than the uh, ganja guy. <laughs> or some of the other, some of the other uh, uh, um, names that, uh, on this file that I have been given. <laughs> uh, last question to you, Keith. I want to know from the minister if he's going to uh, dub his um, enforcement branch the untouchables uh, out of, uh, as a reminder of the prohibition era. When it comes to cracking down on uh, these dispensaries that exist right now that will not qualify for licenses under the new regime, what type of time frame, I mean, joking aside, what type of time frame are we talking about in uh, in, in requiring these uh, these unlicensed dispensaries that exist right now to go out of business? Well, we're looking, at, first off, in terms of the enforcement unit, uh, that's currently under development, um, and uh, that'll be about, it'll, it'll comprise about 44 uh, people. Uh, it'll be spread around the province, and his job will be to deal with 
um, those dispensaries that are illegal that don't get um, you know local government approval and then uh, pass a, a background check. Um, as we've made clear, existing dispensaries are able to apply. The issue is very much sort of focused in the Vancouver uh, and Victoria uh, communities, as, as well as a few others, but nowhere near to, the, to that to that extent. I'm expecting that enforcement, and I've made and I've said this before, enforcement is going to ramp up over time. So you're not going to see on October 18th, you know, a whole bunch of uh, people marching around and marching into legal dispensaries. As more and more legal uh, licensed uh, retail outlets come online, uh, then enforcement will be ramped up. Perfect. Mike, uh, thanks so much for taking some time to join us this morning. Appreciate it. My pleasure. That was Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, a conversation we had here in Inside Politics a few weeks ago. Coming up next, after a quick break, Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian weighs in on this city being the only one with a government-run cannabis store when things become legal next week. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. Accountable to you for Kamloops Computer Center. This is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford on Radio NL. Welcome back to Inside Politics. My pleasure to be joined on the phone by Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian. Ken, uh, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm great. Great. Glad to be here. Uh, okay, so uh, it sounds like by all uh, I'll stretch of the imagination, uh, we're going to be the only place in the province with a government-run marijuana store or even any kind of marijuana store, really. Uh, I know there's going to be a lot of media attention. Uh, what's your thought about crowds, uh, lineups, uh, Kamloops being the center of attention, at least on a, on a novelty perception for the first couple of days of this thing? Yeah, you know, I I think that's exactly what it is, Shane. It's a novelty. Uh, I think uh, the government chose camels because of our degree of readiness. Uh, You know, we have uh, had uh, staff assigned uh, to this file for the last year. We've held uh, three public hearings. We've put our zoning bylaws in place and our business license bylaws. We've uh, had discussions with the RCM police with respect to uh, drug recognition experts and impaired driving. Uh, we've talked to the medical health officer about, uh, you know, uh, public health advice, particularly to youth with respect to marijuana use. So, you know, I think, you know, we're as uh, well positioned as any and perhaps the government feels we're a little uh, further along. So that's why they chose Camelops. While a lot of attention is on the on Kamloops having the only government store, can uh, there's a lot that goes with this sort of paradigm shift, uh, including a ton of bylaws where you can and cannot smoke, uh, potential infractions, et cetera, et cetera. So, from a bylaw perspective, uh, are are we ready? Should uh, somebody be uh, smoking big doobies walking down Victoria Street when they perhaps shouldn't be? You know, uh, we have to recognize that uh, while it hasn't been legal, it's been used in our city and elsewhere for for uh, over a hundred years. So, let's just uh, you know uh, take this one step at a time, and and uh, let's not try try to solve problems we don't yet have. So, if this becomes an issue, certainly we can uh, use the same restrictions that we have for. Smoking, and that would move people away from doorways and away from air intakes, uh, out of our parks, away from uh, any place where students or children are, away from sports fields, that kind of thing. But by and large, I don't see that uh, people are going to want to uh, flaunt this. I don't see this you know, as a, a large 420-year-long celebration. Uh, I think that uh, it's a novelty, and, uh, you know, a, a year from now, uh, we'll wonder, be wondering why we had this conversation. 
Yeah, no, I concur on a couple of levels there. Uh, now, there, we have been operating in this gray area for some time, so there are illegal quote-unquote dispensaries uh, here and there around the city. Uh, some of those aren't going to survive this shift to the legal regime. I know Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth says they're not going to be shut down overnight. It's going to be more of a, a slow ramp-up. But essentially, we're going to have to get a handle on you know what is a legal business and what is an illegal business that needs to be eventually closed down. How do you perceive, from a city of Kamloops perspective, that rolling out in the weeks and months after? After legalization. Yeah, you know, that, that's been an interesting uh, conundrum for uh, ourselves and, and the RCM police and bylaws. You know, if you were to bring a uh, case before the courts right now for illegal marijuana sales, it would likely not uh, make it to the courts until after it was legalized. So the courts look very uh, honestly at wasting their time on something that's uh, going to be evolving. So uh, there hasn't been a big appetite for enforcement, except where there has been a large number of complaints. And we've had a few of those where uh, dispensaries have been co-located with residences or they've been next to daycares and there's been a large number of complaints and we've had to take action. But for the most part, uh, you know, the the ones that are operating, uh, you know, within social norms seem to be uh, able to clip along. I suspect what will happen is uh, the government is going to be hiring, if they haven't already, cannabis inspectors, and their function will be very much like liquor inspectors, and that they will be uh, moving uh, the retail landscape away from uh, an illegal one to a legal one. And uh, I think that they would uh, use a uh, you know a progressive enforcement approach to that, and uh, they're going to get. Uh, people to apply for recreational licenses and move into that uh, system. I think the difficulty that uh, I perceive is that the federal government hasn't uh, uh, made it legal for edibles and a lot of the products that are sold in those uh, dispensaries to be sold in a recreational market. So that's a bit of a uh, legal vacuum that we have. But I don't anticipate any sharp uh, changes in direction. That's really uh, not good law enforcement. And and I think we need to uh, give uh, both the retailers as well as the public an opportunity to adjust to this new regime. So just so I'm I'm crystal clear on that, I mean, let's assume for the sake of argument that we're six months into this thing and you have a dispensary that's still existing in the city without a business license that's causing some problems. Would that then, in, in your mind, with these bylaw enforcement officers, would that be a provincial thing then or would that still be within the realm of the city to say, okay, we have to do something about this? Yeah, it's, it's actually cannabis inspectors, and uh, we would be working with them. I mean, the key in that example you gave is a, a facility causing problems. And if it's causing problems, we're going to take action just as we have done on ones that have, have been causing problems to date. So uh, it's uh, going to be something that we would work with the province on, and I suspect that you would see uh, both uh, business license inspectors, cannabis inspectors, and the RCM police involved in, in close those stores that are reticent about uh, complying with the law. And and, uh, that is not going to happen overnight. It won't happen on the 17th of October for sure. And, uh, you know, when that happens, I think, depends on how quickly the legal market gets set up and that there are options for people to uh, avail themselves of marijuana if that's their desire. Are you guys seeing an increase in interest from uh, whomever to open up uh, uh, marijuana stores here? And I, we, I know we have the government ones and uh, two more potentially in the works for Lansdowne and North Hills. But are you seeing a significant number of businessmen come forward, uh, come into the city saying, hey, listen, uh, what's the possibility of this? What's the possibility of that? 
Yeah, we are actually. Uh, we've, uh, you know, for the last three months, had uh, uh, increased number of inquiries into our uh, development, engineering, and sustainability division about uh, retail marijuana sales, including one member of our council. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's a it's a business opportunity, and and I think uh, there are a number of people out there that are, uh, for whatever reason, wanting to avail themselves of it. Uh, you have a background with interior health. I'm, I'm curious what you think about the possibility of sort of a new world opening up on the on the medical side. I mean, you know, we're hearing talk about uh, marijuana being used or, per, you know, c- components of it for it help, you know, seniors with chronic pain, uh, perhaps as an exit drug for people in the overdose crisis, etc. Suddenly, suddenly there's all this other potential out there. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I actually, a couple of weeks ago, attended at uh, Mastermind Studios. There was a symposium on the uh, medical benefits of uh, uh, marijuana or cannabis, and uh, I heard uh, both uh, former health minister, Dr. Terry Lake, as well as an epidemiologist from the uh, addictions research uh, branch of the uh, Provincial Health Services Authority uh, speak, and uh, they were using uh, that very analogy that you mentioned that, uh, you know, uh, we could consider cannabis as a exit uh, drug. And, and up till now, people have looked at it as a gateway drug so that you start with cannabis and move to cocaine and move to heroin kind of thing. Uh, I think what they were proposing is that there's already people at the heroin stop and this might be a way to uh, help them uh, deal with their uh, tremendous and chronic addiction and that, uh, you know, there would be uh, some use for it in terms of detoxification. So I was quite interested in the science behind that and, and the the notional idea that uh, you would be able to uh, use this to uh, curb the opioid crisis, which is something that does keep me awake at night because uh, it's just totally unacceptable the the number of persons that uh, we're losing in the person years of life lost in our city and and multiply that by all the other cities in British Columbia and now across Canada. It's just a tremendous burden on our society. Well, like the Chinese curse says, may you live in interesting times, and next week will certainly be one of those for us. It certainly will. And thank you for the opportunity. (laughs) Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. That's Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian, and we'll take a quick break to the bottom of the hour, get caught up on the news. On the other side, we're going to talk legal cannabis with former Health Minister Terry Lake. Radio NL. Radio NL.com. Local news now. To Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Center on Radio NL. Good morning and welcome to Inside Politics, the special uh, uh, marijuana-focused edition of the show. Legalization. You mean cannabis. All right, focused. cannabis legalization next week. Uh, Dr. Terry Lake, of course, uh, former Kamloops MLA, former health minister, now the vice president of corporate social responsibility with the Hexo Corporation. That's a long uh, title. Yeah, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. It's good to be back here. Yeah, thanks, man. It's good to see you. Uh, so, just a quick and high-level question off the top. Legalization next week. It's been a long time in the works. Cam- of course, we're going to have the only store. Eventually, we're going to have stores everywhere. Your estimation of how this is going to play out in the first week or two is as we kind of wade into this whole new thing? Well, it's uh, very interesting that Kamloops, uh, you know, on Wednesday, we'll have the, the first store, bricks and mortar store in the province of British Columbia. And people saying, well, Lake, what did you have to do with that? I can tell you, <laughs> not not a thing. Uh, I think just the constellation of things uh, were, were such that it made sense uh, to locate the first
first one here in Kamloops. Um, so, you know, you will be able to buy it here in Kamloops at the government uh, cannabis store, but also online throughout the province of British Columbia. And I, I think it'll be a matter of, you know, weeks before more stores are open. I think there's three government stores planned for Kamloops. There'll be private options, uh, but it's taking some time to go through that process. And, you know, some cities are ready and some are not. Kamloops, I think, has done a very good job of uh, planning for retail adult use cannabis. Some cities uh, like Richmond have said they don't want any cannabis retailing. Uh, I think their citizens will disagree with that after a while once people realize that, you know, the stigma associated with cannabis use has really melted away in, yeah. uh, among many people. And uh, people are looking for cannabis uh, for a number of reasons. Of course, for recreational purposes to enhance, uh, you know, their, uh, their experiences, but also for health and wellness and, you know, using uh, cannabis products that are high in CBD, which is the non-psychoactive component, uh, for um, you know, so they can play hockey longer or old guys soccer or keep <laughs> running or whatever. Uh, this is a very common you know uh, use that people are seeking cannabis for today. Okay, I don't know what the other provinces have as far as their store readiness or not, but I mean, from your side, Hexo, you guys have been on the ground now for a couple of years. You've been investing money. You've been working towards this thing. Now is the time to get your product to shelves and to start seeing something in the way of a profit. Uh, is it ideal that we head into legalization the first couple of weeks and there's only a store here and a store there? Or no? Well, yeah, if you look across the country, Alberta will have uh, quite a few stores open. Uh, Ontario, of course, will not because of the new government there. They've gone away from the government model and won't have any bricks and mortar stores for six months. In Quebec, it's all government run and they'll have, I think, about 15 to 18 stores right off the hop. Uh, but all provinces will have online ordering capability. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to rush out uh, next week and, and start buying legalized cannabis. It's going to it's going to be a slow build-up, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because yeah. I think there's a lot of education that needs to, uh, and discussion, you know, at, at dinner tables uh, about the use of cannabis and, and how you approach it. If if you're a, a baby boomer like me and, and haven't used cannabis uh, since, you know, maybe 1979, uh, and you go in and Are start... Are you sure? Well, I, I put <laughs> it this way, I never exhaled. Um, so, you know, people that are relatively naive to cannabis uh, go back and try it, and, and they may have a bad experience because they're not used to it. Uh, their liver enzymes aren't uh, aren't where they should be to metabolize it uh, as rapidly as, as they would have if they were using it. So it's going to take a lot of uh, discussion, a little, lot of education, a lot of experience. So going slow is not a bad thing, and that's often what we say, is when you're looking at cannabis, start low and go slow. And just see how you react to it, and uh, and 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 have a good experience rather than a bad one. Maybe the the slower ramping up of the stores may uh, help on the supply side. I mean, you know it better than I would, but I'm seeing stories already that the supply is not there for a full-on gangbusters opening. So maybe that plays to the positive or not. Yeah, I think that's true. That um, initially, ours is a good example. You know, we uh, we've been in our new 250,000 square foot greenhouse for about three months now, but our 
our one million square foot greenhouse won't be complete till the end of uh, of this year, which means we won't get our first plants out of there till April of 2019. So we won't be at full production, and and that is repeated uh, in a number of larger licensed producers of cannabis. So if every store was open uh, next week, I think we would have a supply issue. Uh, so this will help us. I, I don't think there'll be a problem in supply. I think people need to realize, though, and I've talked about this before, that there won't be the full array of products. So if you walked into a dispensary, so-called dispensary yeah. uh, in Vancouver or even in Kamloops, you'll see edibles and uh, concentrates, and those will not be available for a, a one year uh, through the federally uh, licensed program. So... You know, I think people, some people may be disappointed. Others will just be happy to access cannabis legally and, and without the stigma that they may feel if they're using, you know, some of the legal operations today. Uh, but it's going to take three to five years, really, for this market to mature. When you say market mature, what do you mean? Like well, when I think it's normalized. No, yeah. I think when the use is normalized, when people have a comfort level with it, when the full array of products is there. Yeah. Uh, for instance, you know, we've uh, combined with Molson Coors to uh, create a, a company that will make cannabis-infused beverages. Well, that's going to be at least a year from uh, from uh, this month. And, um, you know, it'll take a while for people to understand how you use those, whether you use them for wellness, as I mentioned, with a CBD-infused beverage, uh, or whether you use it for or, uh, you know, enjoying your 1960s rock and roll records again. What do you, when you look across the provinces of the set of rules out there uh, as we head into legalization, concerns out there anywhere at all? Has everyone got it right or, or no? Well, no one's got it right, uh, but that's not necessarily expected. I mean, having been in government, when you are putting together a policy, particularly such a huge great big policy shift that we're going into here, it's very difficult to get it right, right off the hop. If you ask me who has the best approach, I would say probably Alberta. You know, they've they've gone with a, a retail model that is private, as mm -hmm. their liquor dis, uh, retail model is, and they've limited uh, the licensed producers like Hexo so that only 15% ownership, you know, of the total market would be possible. Uh, so I think that prevents the concern about big cannabis taking over and leaves room for the little guys. And this is an opportunity for smaller companies, mom and pop operations, to have a retail cannabis store that caters in a different way than maybe a larger company or a government-run store would. Uh, you know, BC's hybrid model, I think, is going to be fine uh, at the end of the day. Um, although, you know, it's from a business perspective, it's hard to imagine why it's necessary for the government to be the distributor. You know, I right. mean, retailers could order directly from companies. Why do we have to have a middleman in there and uh, you know it's it, funny because liquor companies would make the same argument so yeah of course of course here. they would um, but you know with liquor uh, you've got first of all a whole va vast array of products yeah. and you've got it in different product forms and let's face it it's heavy yeah well cannabis you know, there's not as many product forms. It's really not something that needs to sit in a warehouse very long. In fact, it shouldn't sit in a warehouse very long. This is a plant, you know, in, in, the, in most forms. It's a plant and shouldn't be sitting around in a warehouse. So, you know, it'll take time. And, and as I say, with the maturity of the market, perhaps some of these models will change over time and get a little more liberal uh, so that uh, they make a, a little more sense. The, the marketing and promotion and labeling uh, laws are, I think, 
ridiculously um, uh, conservative, uh, and I hope those will loosen up as government and the public get uh, a little higher comfort level. Now, how do you guys manage that? Because, I mean, most other businesses, you know, your Nikes, all that other kind of stuff, uh, they have a brand entity. They have a brand name. People recognize, uh, to a degree, cigarettes do. I mean, they're undercover now, but people still know what a Marlboro is as compared to whatever else. So uh, as we go into this regime, from from your perspective with Hexo, and, and I'm sure every other country uh, company has the same concern, how do you brand stuff or become known as like, okay, I, I want, you know, the Hexo brand of whatever as opposed to whatever. Right. With the well, this is the argument we've made is that the restrictive rules make brand differentiation very difficult. And so you won't have a consumer who's uh, as informed as they should be when making a product selection. Uh, so we've tried, you know, and many uh, licensed producers have been uh, undergoing marketing activities that are a bit stealth marketing activities <laughs> leading up to legalization. Health Canada has expressed concern about that, um, but you know, in our in in our kind of events that we've had, we've had um, concerts, we've had cooking events, we've had gaming events. You know, we're really just introducing people to the company. We're not really talking about cannabis, the product, and we're certainly not promoting the use of it. We just want people to know who we are and that we are. You know, we're a company that's interested in people who want to experience more out of life. Uh, you know, uh, the the explorer, and that's kind of where the Hexo name comes from, people that are you know, curious about new experiences, uh, but also uh, very responsible in the way they, they have those experiences. Terry, we're going to uh, pause that thought, take a quick break, and we'll pick up our conversation with you on just the other side. We're talking to Terry Lake about legal marijuana coming to BC, well, all of Canada, really, next week. More on Inside Politics right after this. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. From both sides of the floor, this is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Center on Radio NL. Welcome back to Inside Politics. We're talking to former Health Minister Kamloops North MLA, uh, currently now with the Hexo Corporation in the legal cannabis industry, Terry Lake. I'm curious uh, to get your perspective on this because you were a former uh, councillor mayor, uh, MLA, health minister, now in the private cannabis business. As we move into this legalization regime and we move out of the gray area that's allowed dispensaries to pop up here and there under the quote-unquote illegal system, and now we're going to have, you know, government stores or maybe Terry Lake's going to open up a marijuana store and Victoria Street, whatever the deal is, and you're going to have these stores that were illegal that are either transitioning or maybe they're in the wrong place. Uh, as we move into the legal regime, how do you see that kind of filtering or factoring itself out? Well, I don't think the government or the police will march into these uh, illegal dispensaries and you know and and shut them down. I don't think that's the right thing to do. To be to be honest, I think you need to allow some evolution. You need to provide opportunities for these current operators to get um, licenses to operate in the legal market. Uh, But they do need to know that, uh, you know, things are different now, that there is a legal regime in place. And certainly, uh, you know, shareholders and companies like mine uh, don't want to compete with the black market, and they shouldn't. You know, no. uh, they, they shouldn't have to. And, well, no one and can governments, open up like a knockoff Nike shop. Or uh, exactly, exactly. And and um, the government doesn't want to uh, give up the, those tax revenues either. So I think what will happen is they'll be put on notice. You, you know, you, this has to end. As we get more legal stores, that enforcement probably 
simply will increase and increase and increase. And, uh, you know, I think as more and more of the current illegal operators come into the legal market, then the need for them to continue operating illegally will go away anyway. Uh, let's talk about some of the negative stuff. Uh, I mean, uh, marijuana, I think we're, we're doing this, and uh, I think we should be doing it. Um, but there's, there are concerns, namely around, you know, young people, children, and, and granted in the context they're getting it now easier than I could go to the store and get a pack of bubble gum. So that's the current situation, uh, obviously not ideal. But as we forge into a legal regime, how do you see, you know, dealing with minors and that kind of thing playing out? Are we going to see them lose interest because now it's legal? Uh well, you know, when, when your grandmother is now using cannabis, maybe some of that appeal <laughs> goes away <laughs> for, uh, for kids. But you, you said it. Um, Canada has the highest uh, youth uh, rate of use of cannabis in the world. And right now they're using an unregulated product that may contain molds, may contain pesticides. They don't know what the THC or CBD levels are. But even uh, a regulated product's bad for them. Well, Developing brain and all that. Yeah. Well, uh, exactly. But that's what I'm saying is that on top of the potential harms of THC, you've got the, the, these other unknowns in the products that they're consuming now. So it will be a better situation even if they continue to consume, you know, under the age, they'll have a, at least a regulated product that they're using. Now, having said that, legalization provides an opportunity to put a lot of money into education. And this, has, this is really starting to ramp up. Uh, my daughter, Stephanie, is an advisor to the Canadian Students for Sensible Drug Policy. They have created a terrific toolkit on how to talk to young people about cannabis because cannabis is not for everybody. You know, uh, there are certain personality traits um, uh, that uh, really don't lend themselves to high THC products, but perhaps CBD products are something that uh, that could be tolerated well. So people should make informed decisions, whether they're children, youth, or adults. We need to know what this product is and what it isn't, and uh, and how you use it responsibly. But I think actually what we've seen in the United States with, with legal cannabis regimes is that use, use by young people actually goes down. Yeah. Because before they could get it anywhere, and now... I mean, you know, it's like cigarettes. Young people have a real hard time getting hold of cigarettes or booze, uh, but pot they can get easily today. So this will make it harder for them to get. Plus, as I said, the you know, the the sort of um, mysterious factor of cannabis uh, mm -hmm. when when your mom and dad are using it probably will go away a little bit. Uh, you were in uh, sort of a cannabis symposium in in Kamloops recently. Just curious, what if anything you pulled out of that? I know we did stories uh, here about you know possible use for seniors and mitigating chronic pain, that kind of thing. Anything new and exciting? pop out of that? Or? Well, I think the research that's going on now um, is really ramping up. And again, that's another benefit of legalization is it'll be a lot easier for researchers to get a hold of a proper product, standardized product, and there'll be much more money going into research. The Canadian Institute for Health Research is pouring millions into research around cannabis. Licensed producers are putting money. Canopy uh, put in $2.5 million to create a, a research chair at the University of British Columbia. And what we heard at the symposium is that, in fact, uh, medical cannabis can be used for a, a variety of different conditions. Um, uh, some of this is based on observational studies, but more and more we're seeing randomized controlled trials uh, that are showing great promise for components of cannabis, because cannabis is more than just one thing. For instance, um, uh, Dr. Stephen Laviolette at uh, University of Western Ontario is doing some really great research on CBD that uh, shows promise for schizophrenia 
schizophrenia and for bipolar disorder. Now, mm-hmm. those are two conditions that people would have said cannabis uh, should be, you know, the last thing that you use. But a component of cannabis may actually be very helpful. So I think this will unlock research, and I think uh, the stigma around using cannabis is changing, so people are turning to it. And I know so many people that have chronic conditions that, you know, they haven't had a great response from traditional uh, medications that as part of their treatment regime, cannabis plays a role and in many cases is very helpful. And in the overdose crisis, which you've had first-hand knowledge with? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we used to think of cannabis as a gateway drug. If you started smoking cannabis, then, you yeah. know, next thing was meth and, and uh, heroin and crack and everything else. Reality is that um, the studies show that there, there's promising early studies that show that people who use cannabis daily actually uh, have lower use of opioids and they, if they're on opioid agonist treatment like methadone or suboxone, they actually stay on that treatment longer if they are regular users of cannabis. So again, this is work that's being conducted by uh, UBC and by the BC Center for, um, for Substance Use and um, it may, it, you know, it's not going to solve the opioid no. crisis. Yeah, yeah. But if it's one more tool to help, then we should be looking at it. And, uh, you know, I always tell people cannabis isn't the answer to everything. It, it sounds like it sometimes when you hear people in the industry talk. It isn't. Um, but it, it, it may be helpful uh, for some conditions. And uh, more and more physicians, nurse practitioners, nurses are learning about uh, cannabinoid medicine. And uh, that, I think, is a good thing. Uh, just kind of curious your take on this. Dr. Mark Tyndall with the BC Center for Disease Control uh, raised the idea of at least having a discussion now about uh, basically decriminalizing street drugs in order to kind of regulate and have a, a clean supply as opposed to what's out there now. Your thought on that? Or? Well, there's two things you said there, decriminalization and clean supply, and they don't go hand in hand. For instance, in Portugal, uh, they have decriminalized all drug use, and uh, you know everyone looks at the Portugal model, which yeah. you know is a, it's a national government, so they can do that. Uh, as a national government, Canada could do that. As a provincial government, BC could not do that. But in Portugal, you don't have uh, people dying from opioid overdoses like you do here because they don't have a toxic drug supply. They don't Mm -hmm. have fentanyl in their drug supply like we do here. So decriminalization is one thing. What it would lead to is allow people to have uh, lower the the stigmatization of drug use so people could seek help, I think, more readily and and be treated as a health issue rather than a criminal issue, which is what it is. It's a health issue. Um, The toxic drug supply is another thing, and Dr. Tyndall has been a real advocate for giving people a clean supply of drugs, which, you know, is sounds counterproductive, um, you know, and, and I had a bit of an argument with the former conservative national government over this. Right. Uh, the health minister, Ron Am- Ambrose, and I clashed over inject- injectable prescription heroin that is helping a lot of people in Vancouver. Um, and I've come around to thinking that, you know, maybe that's part of the solution is in, in limited ways, provide a clean supply of drugs to people that have uh, substance use disorders until they are ready for treatment, because not everyone is ready when you want them to be ready. They have to be ready. And we need to have the systems in place to be there for them when they want to be ready. But this is, folks, this is, uh, substance use disorder is is a health condition. Um, people use recreation drugs and aren't addicted to it. Yeah. Uh, those who are addicted, that's a health condition. And by the way, people, high-functioning people that are using illicit drugs today are dying because of the toxic drug supply, as we've seen here in Kamloops. People um, using alone at home. Are, kind of, some yeah. of my friends, yeah. you know, have passed away because of this toxic drug supply. So... 
we have to deal with this. We have to be adults. We have to use evidence. We have to get away from the old war on drugs. It never worked. It's not going to work. Let's figure out a better way. Uh, okay, I just want to wrap up in another pie in the sky question uh, with the opening legalization uh, next Wednesday. Uh, what do you think it's going to be like here with the only store? I'm assuming we're going to have just the novelty of it. It's going to be a bit of a riot on the first couple of days. So. <laughs> I imagine. I wish I could be here uh, for the opening of that store. Uh, I understand it's designed very nicely and it's going to be a, a great looking store. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, you know all the media in BC will probably yeah, be so here because it's the, the only store uh, and there'll be great excitement uh, uh, and so some celebration, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll see. Uh, at 4:20 that afternoon, I'm sure there'll be, uh, you know, that will be the height of the activity, uh, followed by uh, quite a rush uh, to the, uh, you know, the the pizza shops in town. <laughs> uh, Terry, always good to talk to you. Wish we always had more time, but uh, it's good to see you. Thanks, Shane. And that's it for today's edition of Inside Politics. We'll see you again right here on Radio NL next week. Radio NL, RadioNL.com, local news now.